talk to us now and go to the TNT Radio interactive live chat room at tntradio.live. Lighting the fuse for freedom. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Critically analyzing national affairs, this is State of the Nation with Steve Hook and Brian McLean on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Well, good afternoon and welcome to State of the Nation. We're broadcasting live with today's News Talk TNT. I'm Brian McLean, broadcasting live out of Central Texas, right here in the South, and I'm joined by Steve Hook, broadcasting off the Jersey Shore. Steve, it's great to see you today. Yeah, good to be with you again, Ash. Another big day, another big news day, and a lot going on, and a great show in in store for us today. I'm looking forward to all of our guests, and I'm happy to report that we've got sunshine on the Jersey Shore uh, after just torrential rain and wind last night, so I'm glad that's gotten out of here. Yeah, yeah, it's a nice day out here in Texas as well. And I want to give a shout out to the chat room over there. We have an interactive live chat room over at the TNT website, tntradio.live, of course. So get on over there and join that chat room. We try to keep an eye on it, but we also have uh, a lot of balls and chainsaws bouncing and flying as we juggle through State of the Nation here, Steve. And I got to give a shout out also to today's news talk. You know, we've just hit the two year anniversary. Uh, since the launch of TNT. So, uh, yeah, yeah, br- bring the applause in. Uh, you got any Yay! sound effects back there? Now is the time. Uh, just very happy to be here on this second anniversary of today's news talk. And please, we would love it if you would share the show out. Go follow our Twitter account. We're on all those social medias and get on over there. We really need to push those algorithms. Uh, push beyond the uh, visibility filtering and all the sort of things that uh, a network like this gets because a lot goes into this. I can't even, I wouldn't even have time to describe the amount of manpower that goes into this, uh, this network, Steve. I mean, you know it well, we're in the background. We deal with, you know, everybody that works here pretty much. It's such an amazing roster of hosts and such a professional broadcast and we're very proud to be part of it and uh, just want to wish a happy anniversary to TNT and in particular to uh, our team in the background that helps run State of the Nation because uh, it is a big team and we do appreciate everybody on it. Yeah, here, here. I, I, I concur wholeheartedly. And uh, two years in and we're gelling fine and it's, you know, uh, better times ahead. I look forward to saying, hey, it's been five years. Congratulations. So, But that's where we're at, two big years on State of the Nation. Well, two big years with TNT Radio. And uh, it's uh, it's wonderful, man. It's it's wonderful. And I, again, I, I also want to echo your sentiments there, Hash. Share this stuff out. If you like what you see, share it, for God's sakes. Uh, because uh, Lord knows the, uh, the powers that be behind the uh, curtains at the uh, multimedia sites aren't going to do it for us. So yeah yeah that's the truth my friend that's the truth and uh follow steve and i on our socials also i'm at hesher media on x and ig those are probably the best ones to get at me uh so hit me up over there as well and of course you can email steve and i here at the show also and you know we haven't talked about it in a bit steve but we do have a call in line i don't know if uh if they still got it open for state of the nation but hey the number's up there on the website so if you ever get a wild hair I don't care. We may we may be in the middle of a guest. Go ahead and give it a shot. Maybe the board switchers will let you through if you got something to say. Uh, but of course, that's their prerogative. We got a tight ship to run here, Steve. So let me just mention this one really quick before we bring Ruckus on. Um, there's an Obama appointed judge that has uh, a federal lawsuit aiming to disqualify former President Donald Trump from the 2024 ballot in the state of Nevada. Was dismissed this week by a judge appointed by. Yeah, President Barack Obama. Isn't that interesting? So uh, shout out to that judge. And it just goes to show uh, that, you know, not all of the uh, so-and-so appointed judges are going to, you know, lean into the identity politic. We do have some rays of hopes here. So uh, that suit, which is part of a broader legal effort, of course, Steve, um, challenging Trump's eligibility in several states was retained rejected by the plaintiff's lack of standing and uh it's pretty it's pretty great you know this was judge navarro and um castro was the one that put it in and and navarro focused on castro's inability to demonstrate a direct personal injury from trump's candidacy and uh in castro's ruling 
uh, or uh, Navarro's ruling, it said, quote, in rejecting his political competitor standing argument, courts have found that Castro improperly manufactured his standing merely to file this lawsuit, end quote. So, uh, you know, it's not always dark in the halls of justice, but quite often, but this was a good one I wanted to bring to light. Yeah, it is. It is strange. John Anthony Castro. And by the way, it should be mentioned. Uh, this is this this story is so upside down because John Anthony Castro is a Republican uh, yeah. <laughs> and he's basically saying, I just brought it to, to make sure that it got before a judge. I wasn't trying to upset the apple cart here so much. And Gloria Navarro, Obama appointed Gloria Navarro, came out and said, no, you don't have the legal standing and we're not going to do this. You know what I think it is? Hesh? I think that some of these judge, these appellate judges and some of these district judges around the nation no damn good and well that SCOTUS is going to take this up. They've already announced February. It's going to, they're going to look at it. They're going to have a ruling probably by the first or second week of March. And in the interim, all states are going to kind of be forced to follow that lead and put him on the primary ballot. And then, of course, the next battle will be the general ballot. I mean, you know, so I think the, the court, uh, SCOTUS has got to come down on this and say, nope, you've got no, you've got no reason to keep him off your ballots. But, uh, Gloria Navarro got in front of it and said, uh, she threw it out. So that's good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, a little bit of good news there to kick us off here for State of the Nation. Did you know there are many ways you can listen to today's news talk? Why not stream us direct on our website to your desktop, to your tablet, to your mobile device? You can even download our app. That's up there in all the app stores. And we, of course, are streaming live video on YouTube, Rumble, Odyssey, and all the good platforms. We got you covered on TNT Radio. Keeping the commitment. I love you guys. Unbelievable. 24-7. Listen to you every day, half for years. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. That's right. On Wednesday, oh boy, this one's interesting. On Wednesday, Brooklyn High School students were forced to switch to learning remotely. Remotely, right? When's the last time we saw that happen? Hmm. Okay. Hmm. It seems like there was some sort of lockdown happening. Anyways, forced to switch to remote learning when their school was suddenly turned into a temporary shelter for thousands that's right thousands of migrants or illegal aliens if you prefer whose tents were deemed unsafe amid stormy weather here with the story joining us now is tnt news producer adam clark so ruckus uh that never happened to me in high school did that happen to you i mean i remember snow days i don't remember being kicked out for illegal migrants though Actually, when we went to school, they didn't have remote learning, so uh, th that's a non-starter. Uh, so, no days yeah, were all you got. Is, yeah, <laughs> this is the state of our, our country right now. We have an open border and uh, at least one closed school building. <laughs> um, so, yeah, what happened is that these, these high school students at this particular school in Brooklyn uh, were forced to stay home uh, today. Uh, because there were almost 2,000 migrants using their gym as a storm shelter. Uh, they, were, they were busy getting them out, though. Uh, they were busing them back to a nearby tent city. What happened was that there were some concerns that torrential rains and powerful winds could collapse a massive migrant tent that was set up at Floyd Bennett Field. And uh, they decided Tuesday night they were going to move everybody over to the, the school gym, uh, this is James Madison High School. Uh, apparently, they had already gotten them out by about 4.30 a.m. Wednesday. Uh, despite the early departure, uh, which a source described to uh, the New York Post as quote-unquote madness, uh, the school remained remote. So they did the remote learning today uh, as, um, as requested by the principal, uh, according to City Hall. The sheer number of workers that were needed to smoothly transport the 1,900 asylum seekers made the chaotic scene feel like, quote unquote, a concert, according to the source speaking to New York Post. Uh, you can see a bunch of photos of this all over the place on social media platform X uh, that were shared by none other than the mayor himself, Eric Adams. Uh, you can see uh, migrant families, including children, sleeping on the floor of the school's gymnasium. Um, 
let's see, the Office of Emergency Management said alongside these photos, quote, as of 427 hours, our temporary relocation of Floyd Bennett Field H-E-R-R-C guests to James Madison High School was completed and all guests safely returned to Floyd Bennett Field H-E-R-R-C, end quote. That's right. They're guests, people. Uh, the migrants who were moved to the school around 5 p.m. yesterday, Tuesday, as a precaution against the storm, were met with fierce backlash from some in the neighborhood. As a result, Assemblyman Michael Novakov, a Republican from Brooklyn, called for a rally Wednesday morning outside the high school to protest the disruption of the students' education a few parents staked out the school Tuesday as buses were dropping off migrants with one irate mother yelling, quote, how do you feel? Does it feel good? Um, end quote, stuff like that. So, yeah, clearly the people who live there, uh, the parents of the students, they're not down for this decision. But, you know, the will of the people be darned, right? Uh, isn't that the way it's going these days? Um, yeah, what do you guys think about it? This is wild. I, I can't believe they were just literally sacrificed the education of our students to accommodate um, people who are not supposed to be here uh, and they're not yeah. guests. I'm sorry. Yeah. No. Well, they're 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 uninvited guests. It's like the relative that you invite over for Thanksgiving and then they never leave. <laughs> I, I just, you know, I, you know what it, what it comes down to is, and I'm looking at this story. They say, oh, it was only for one night. That's that's the defense you're going to get. Well, you know what? It's January 10th, and I live on the East Coast, and I live about an hour away from where this went down, and I can tell you winter is really just beginning. So there's going to be plenty of it's only one night excuses if they don't get this figured out. Uh, they're going to, as far as I'm concerned, they should have said, you know what? We're taking them to the state capital, uh, capital and we're putting them in assembly rooms and stuff there. Why are you subjecting your citizens to this why are you putting uh school kids out uh good god all we need to do is look at what happened with the uh educational drop-off during the lockdowns and you can see that it didn't do uh it, it didn't work too well uh, i don't know about you guys but when i was in school if somebody said oh you've got to phone it in today uh i wouldn't really be thinking about phoning it in i would be thinking about what i'm gonna do i'm gonna be cranking some music i'm gonna be doing whatever other nefarious crap I got into back in those days. But this is just horrible. Elise Stefanik came out and ripped it to shreds. She said, it's outrageous that Eric Adams and Kathy Hochul are displacing New York students to accommodate nearly 2,000 illegal immigrants at a local New York public high school, a direct result of Joe Biden and the Democrats' failed far-left sanctuary state policies, which is destroying the great state of New York. Well, at least get in line because it's not just New York. It's a. Uh, I just read today an article that certain segments of the uh, Chicago O'Hare's airport are now completely shut down to the public because that's being used to house illegals. So this whole sanctuary city thing sounded good when they were pitching it. Uh, once it's put into practice, uh, not so much. Uh, it's 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 ridiculous, and it really is at the fault. Yeah, we can blame Eric Adams and Kathy Hochul. It's Biden's fault. It's Biden's fault. Hesher, what do you think, man? Well, you know, I don't think we can fix this. Uh, Two hundred and fifty thousand people a month coming across the border that we know of. So that's not including gotaways. That's not including people that have come via boat, plane, train, automobile, uh, by foot from all the other borders. So it's a lot more than 250,000 people a month. So get ready for more stories like this all across the nation and mostly questions, right? As an American, it just begs a lot of questions like, well, who drives them from the big tent to the school? Who buys all that fuel? Who, who pays the people to set all this up? What does the school get out of this? Uh, what's the letter to mom and dad look like? I guess it's an email or a text these days. Uh, who feeds all these people uh, once the high school's full? Who pays for that? Um, who brings them jackets and gloves and, and garbage? Uh, who who pays for the guests, I guess, is what I'm getting at. And last I heard, being an illegal alien, someone illegally in the country, that makes you um, <laughs> guilty of or being charged of a misdemeanor crime. Uh, at the very least, and we know that there are some uh, people on the terror watch list coming through, people from 180 countries coming through, uh, none of all of them being handed a misdemeanor uh, summons to appear that's 10 years out. 
so you've got yeah. basically you're you're taking a high school location and you're handing it over to an entire group of people guests okay um aka misdemeanor criminals uh, accused at this point and you know there are a lot of other crimes that are misdemeanors uh what if we took all the people that i don't know say um all the uh, people that i don't know hit someone in the leg with a billy club and put them in the high school and close the high school yeah. for all them you know it's literally a gymnasium full of people that have committed a crime and the students yeah. are being displaced for it think about that for a second pretty amazing ruckus nonsense all of these people have had full background checks they are completely vetted we know everything <laughs> about them we know what diseases they're carrying oh crap we don't know any of that do we no. i'm sure it's okay to just throw them inside of the high school gym and let the kids stay at home what could possibly go wrong here yeah what yeah what i hope this sanctuary city is having fun uh with its uh global diversity uh ambitions here um i I'm, they're drowning in it i would say yeah yeah, yeah well. it's just it, like i said it's only going to get worse it's january 10th what do you think is going to be happening on february 10th uh when it's 20 degrees colder i mean it's you know we've had some pretty mild winters here lately but uh that's due to come to a screeching halt and this is all by invitation it's 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 illegality by open invitation by our federal government and i if this isn't a campaign issue well of course it is uh, it's just it's 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 maddening because you, you can shout it from the rooftops but nobody does a damn thing about it it's uh, frustrating yeah well i can tell you what's going to happen at the end of february steve statistically speaking by the end of february there'll be an extra half a million people illegally here in this country that we know of so yeah. we'll leave that right there because that is going to be an ongoing dumpster fire for the country to analyze here at state of the nation on today's news talk tnt tnt radio's steve malsberg 13 israeli hostages released uh as part of that ceasefire deal uh 49 days after they were taken hostage 49 days. So that still leaves about 225 to 227 more hostages. Uh, I'm with John Bolton, the former national security advisor to Donald Trump. I'm with Britt Hume of, uh, of Fox News. I'm with a bunch of other people who say this gives Hamas too much time to do whatever they want to do, to do whatever they need to do, to regroup, to rearm, to re-strategize. And as much as you want the hostages back, it can't be at the expense of the other part of the mission, which is to destroy Hamas. So I think it's a mistake. Steve Malzberg on TNT Radio. Affordable housing, we can build that. Sustainable housing, we can build that. At MIT Modular, we understand the importance of housing for all and the importance of design, cost, and functionality. Our goal is to meet the needs of our growing population by converting shipping containers to livable units. If you're like-minded and in a position to invest in something meaningful and life-changing, we want to hear from you. We are a team of professional architects, engineers, and financial and tax experts dedicated to offering unique solutions that provide a brighter future. Our Opportunity Zone Fund offers investors both real estate and operating business diversification, five-year tax deferral on capital gains, annual tax benefits, and ultimately tax-free appreciation potential. There are Opportunity Zones all over America. If you're interested in learning more about our services, need affordable housing, or want to participate in creating a new vision for tomorrow, give us a call in the U.S. on 385-985-5702 or read more at MITModular.com. MIT Modular. We can build that. Ladies and gentlemen, today's news talk. News and information. TNT Radio. All right. Welcome back to State of the Nation on TNT. Today's news talk. We're very happy to welcome our first guest to the program. He's been here quite a few times. Charlie Sauer. He's president and founder of Market Institute uh, at marketinstitute.org. Charlie, hello there. It's good to see you, my friend. How are you? Happy New Year. I think this is the first year you've been on in 24. So happy New Year to you, buddy. Happy New Year to you guys. We have another year to fight for freedom. Well, that's Absolutely. that's what we try and do here every day, and it's not always easy. Let me talk to you because um, we were just talking about illegals, uh, illegal immigrants that are now being housed in schools because it was cold, wet, and windy last night. 
Um, but on another front, the illegal surge is really having a, a dire effect on health care. I read an article this morning that last year it was estimated that $7 billion went for medical treatment for illegals. Uh, $7 billion. That's a pretty big number. So let's talk about pro-competitive health care reform and options that the Congress might be able to, you know, might be able to actually do some bipartisan work on here. It just seems to me that if you have seven, if you're spending seven billion on illegals, I don't think the prices are going to come down for the citizens. But w- what's your take on all of this? I think when first off, when we're talking about illegals, I think we have to put those numbers into perspective. It's just not a very large portion of our overall spend. Is it something we want to spend money on? No. But we're actually not supposed to necessarily spend money on that because illegals don't have the same rights that U.S. citizens have. That said, I think that there's different solutions to that. But when we look inside our own domestic policy, the government, every time the government gets involved and gets in the way and inserts their power and puts their boot on the throat of physicians and hospitals and insurance companies and doctors, it means that there is less efficiency in the system. So one of the ones that I think is the easiest to talk about and understand is the fact that the government pays more to hospitals for the same procedures that they pay independent doctors to do. So this can be up to 300% more. So if a doctor gives you an injection at your primary care doctor and that primary care doctor is an independent physician, the government might reimburse them $10. But if you have that injection at the hospital, they might reimburse them $300 for that same thing. And that means that the hospitals around the country are buying up private physician offices and they're charging the government $300 for those injections. They pay the doctor an extra 150. So he's making 140 more and they are just pocketing the other 150 as pure profit. They're arbitraging public policy and at the same time creating these government incentivized monopolies and therefore taking out competition in the marketplace, holding back innovation and meaning that all of us pay higher prices for healthcare. So there's these pieces in healthcare where the government is involved, where everybody hurts. And even the illegal immigrants, when they pay cash for services, are going to be hurt as well. <laughs> you know, it's like grift. Wow. That's a, such a Ponzi scheme. You know, it kind of reminds me of uh, the old reporting that we used to see back in the late 80s, where it was like an investigative reporter would, you know, do, do a do an investigative thing and you'd go, hey, your DOD contracts are listing toilet seats for $700 and a a hammer's $400. Like we can go down to the hardware store, we go to a hardware store and buy these things for 30 bucks. What is going on here? So it's like, you know, that we have these moments in time where it's like things like that get discovered and everybody goes, oh wow, what a grift. And then we move on with our lives but you know it just builds and builds and builds over time so it's like how long can a system last with so many you know contractual ponzi schemes like this well the problem one of the problems that i've seen in working on healthcare policy for a long time is that the market churns or turns over slower than other markets that we deal with so if you're going out to buy a snickers bar you know, you might go out 12 times a year. You might go out every day to buy a Snickers bar. But in healthcare, people usually make one choice a year and they make that in that's if they make one choice a year. But the employer is updating their buy their purchasing one time a year. And so the employee might not ever get to update. So we've narrowed the market on who's buying insurance, employers. And then we've narrowed the amount of times that the market churns. So you have basically a year to make your case that something should turn over. But the fact is, is, you know, employers don't want to do something different for their employees because employees are comfortable with Blue Cross and Blue Shield. And so when they explore something else that makes them, while it might be better and it might be cheaper, they're slightly uncomfortable. And when it's healthcare, it's important to them. So you also have these big draws in healthcare not to change. So when you have a a narrow churn like that and you have this kind of moral or comfort factor on something as important of healthcare, it means that people are less likely to try new and innovative things. 
Fortunately, healthcare or unfortunately, again, we've talked about it, broken window economics doesn't work. But as healthcare prices have increased, more people have been forced to try new things. So we have growing markets and direct primary care, which are primary care doctors that you pay kind of a subscription fee to and you can go see as much as you want. We have growing markets in um, orthopedic surgery centers that are posting their prices. And we have growing markets and kind of alternative insurance like uh, health sharing ministries that are now all over the country and growing fast. So while high healthcare prices are bad for the economy, for healthcare and for everyone, they are creating more innovation. And as people move into the innovative side, that will then start driving prices back down. Charlie, it sounds like you're trying to look for the silver lining here, and I get that. I, I certainly, I certainly can appreciate the fact that hey, you know, when when stuff gets overly priced, all of a sudden here comes new competition. So yeah, I'm down. I mean, that's free market economy for you. That's the way it works. Uh, but you know what? I couldn't help but think of the old nine infamous words from Reagan: "I'm from the government, and I'm here to help." Who would have thought? that with the passage of Obamacare, that all of a sudden everything would get more expensive because now it's got the, uh, the you know, it's basically the government saying, we're going to cover this. It's no wonder that big companies or uh, healthcare companies and hospital companies are, are snapping up these private doctor's offices because they're getting more money. And the private doctor's not going to say a damn thing because guess what? He or she is pocketing more money as well. Uh, and at the end of the day, we're just ballooning these costs up. So it is kind of scary. Listen, we got to take a quick headline, Charlie. But when we come back, maybe you can talk on that. And maybe we can find a way of, uh, well, I don't know that it's going to happen, but find a way of getting government out of our health care. I don't think that's ever going to happen anytime soon. But our guest is Charlie Sauer. You're listening to State of the Nation. We take a quick headline and we'll be right back with more on this topic on TNT. Now, TNT Radio News. You are completely obsessed with breaking news. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. Donald Trump has called for urgent action to be taken to stop Democrats from stealing the upcoming presidential election. Just when we thought we had seen the last of COVID-19, authorities in Australia are once again sounding the alarm. And America's first mission to the moon in more than 50 years has failed after its unmanned spacecraft suffered a fuel leak, making it impossible to carry out a soft landing on the lunar surface. Globalist agendas, democratic rights at risk, corruption, propaganda, it never stops. For the news and views silenced by the mainstream media, by government and corporations, vote one. TNT Radio, free speech always has a home here. Stay up to date with the latest live news and current affairs delivered by our lineup of expert commentators and hosts. Listen to TNT Radio anywhere you go. Ask Alexa or Google to play TNT Radio or download the TNT Radio app for free from the App Store or Google Play. Today's news talk, this is TNT Radio. Okay, welcome back to State of the Nation. Our guest, Charlie Sauer, he's the founder and president of uh, Market Institute. Charlie, uh, thank you for hanging in there. Now, as we were talking before the break, it's it, it, government gets involved in these things, and, and healthcare is a huge one, and all of a sudden, everything spikes in price. And the government has to know this. I mean, these politicians, they know this is going to happen. So why do they do it anyway? Is it just money? Yeah. Is it just greed? Well, I mean, I think it's populism, and I think that populism is intoxicating. We see populism taking over the Republican Party right now because it's just easier to sell, and it's easier to say, hi, I'm going to give you this candy today, even though you might have a cavity tomorrow. And the voters sometimes like having that candy today, and it's just a message that sells. So when we look at healthcare up and down the market, the employer exemption or the fact that when an employer pays for your health care, they get to write that off. Uh, it's basically um, it's tax free money to them. So they can give you ten dollars in health care. But if they gave you ten dollars in salary, you get taxed on that and taxed on that and taxed on that. So you get a full ten dollars in health care. And we see the unions consistently negotiate higher healthcare uh, plans and better healthcare plans and Cadillac healthcare plans, even though as the money increases, you start getting 
less value out of that, but the employers can give you more. And that's the government involvement there. But what we see is uh, John Goodman, the father of the health savings accounts, uh, created the health sa- created health savings accounts is the time it was called a health reimbursement um, account. And um, now we're seeing people opt out of the current healthcare market. So they have money in their pocket and they can choose where they go. So instead of paying $3,000 from an MRI, they can shop around and often pay $500 for an MRI. But they, we had to give the power to the patient and let the patient take control over their own money. And as soon as the patient controls the money and it isn't an employer spending funny money or an insurance company that just doesn't really care, then we all, we start moving the market. And once businesses start seeing that patients are moving, they start adjusting how they're providing those, those services. I can tell you, uh, Keith Smith in Oklahoma, he posted his prices online and nobody came to see him, even though he was only charging 10% of what the nonprofit hospital down the street was paying. In fact, the first patients that took him up on his listed prices were Canadians that saw that they could get in, get service today, recover, and then fly home and be done before they would ever be considered on the Canadian list. And so what we have is the all of these government problems that we have to get through. So realistically, it's going to be a long, a long road. But as long as we keep pushing more and more free market policies into healthcare, we give more power to patients, it's going to happen. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm glad you brought up that Canadian uh, story right there because I'm sitting here and I'm thinking just sort of, you know, Steve brought up uh, the introduction of Obamacare and many people were like, hey, wait a minute, this is like a socialization. And I, somehow it still took hold. And it's like, at the time I was really interested in it and I started talking to friends in Canada and the UK about what their healthcare was actually like because those were the places that the uh, U.S. media and political system would point to as the shining examples. And what I found was um, the more that the government was involved, just to sort of underscore what you're saying here, the more they socialize it and let insurance CEOs and lawyers write the policies, uh, the mo- all of a sudden you have lower quality, longer waits. Um, look what COVID did, actually. That was a huge interruption in, in those systems in particular. People that had cancer uh, couldn't get treatments for a long time. People were afraid to go in and seek treatment when they needed to seek treatment, and then were on even longer lists, and ultimately leads to higher prices. So it's like, I, I guess I'll close by asking you, are, are is this just all a manifestation of us on our way to what it looked like and actually looked like in Canada and the U.K.? under you know socialized healthcare and uh do you think we can spin out of it with all these innovations and uh marketing driving factors you're talking about here we would love to say no but we just talked about the fact that populism is kind of taking control of modern political messaging and the thing is is that uh the canadian healthcare system and the uk health system are great health systems if you're healthy if you're healthy, then they work perfectly. The problem is that healthcare is really only necessary when you're not healthy. And to point out how that works, when they passed Obamacare, they changed the tax deduction. So the people that were sickest and paying the most out of their pockets actually took a tax hit because they only got a deduction when they had to after they paid more than before Obamacare. That's what uh, socialized healthcare is all about is that it's serving healthy people. And it's really easy to take care of healthy people. It's even cheap. So you can pass that today and a majority of people would be happy with it. The doctors wouldn't necessarily be happy with it, but they're serving healthy people. So they might even be happy with it. The problem is when you're an outlier and the US system is the best system for that. We have high drug prices. We also have the highest drug innovation and come out with the newest drugs. We have access to 150 more drugs than they have access to in Japan. This is all over the market where you see government intervention. It serves the healthy people. It hurts your access and it hurts quality. So I do think we're on a path for that. I also do think that the innovative pieces that we see in healthcare currently are the things that are going to help keep us from socialized healthcare because we can point to what Mark Cuban's doing and see how much lower his drug prices are than what we pay at CVS. 
All right. Perfect. Good point. Yeah. No, yeah. Marketinstitute.org. I just wanted to get that in there. That's where you follow Charlie's work. All right, Charlie. uh, We're out of time here. We've got to let you go. We'll look forward to having you back on. Thanks for joining us to break this down. This is a a situation that I'm actually very happy to hear that some of the innovations are working out and people are leaning into them. Uh, I think uh, Dr. Keith Smith, for example, uh, he's probably going to start getting more views on his website real soon here as this continues to fall into the situation that uh, the government would like it to turn into. Charlie Sauer, thanks for joining us here on State of the Nation at today's News Talk. Deweaponizing weather with reality and perspective. I can tolerate another person's opinion if it's not a lie. You know, people say, well, that's just my opinion. But if your opinion is based on non-fact, what is that? I really believe we have nothing but evil that is pushing this climate change situation. The ultimate evil statement I've seen in this phony climate war came out from Reuters and the Biden administration claiming that the massacre of 200 Christians on Christmas Day, for goodness sakes, had to do with climate change. Now, does anybody seriously believe that? Well, apparently a lot of these people do. We have had to deal with this for many years. John Kerry blamed the rise of Boko Haram on drought in Nigeria. Nigeria's rainfall has been above normal the last 25 years. It's similar to what happened in the 1950s. Let's see, was there Boko Haram in the 1950s? Was there the massacre of 200 Christians on Christmas Day in the 1950s? Yet it was raining more in the 1950s. What kind of evil is that? And I'll tell you something, it's across the board. I don't care if it's climate, I don't care if it's COVID, I don't care if it's a January 6th insurrection. This is worthy of Germany in the 1930s, the old Soviet Union, and China. What is amazing about it is the country that actually took the stand against that is now using those techniques on people that wish to keep the country the way it was founded. And they're using climate. This is TNT climate and weather watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you got. Hi, I'm Susan Lucci. I never thought about heart disease until I had my own heart event. I had a a 90% blockage in my main artery and a 75% blockage in the adjacent artery. I received two stents in my arteries, stents developed through research funded by the American Heart Association. Those stents saved my life. Learn more about the American Heart Association's life-saving work at helpheart.org. This is State of the Nation on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. All right, on Friday, the United States Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit will be hearing Bowles versus Newsom. Uh, This case claims by plaintiff J.D. Bowles, a landlord, that COVID-related executive orders issued in 2020 by then San Diego Mayor Kevin Faulkner violated their rights, including their right to liberty under the California Constitution by placing a temporary moratorium on evictions for non-payment of rent by tenants directly impacted by COVID-19. Steve Barrick is a seasoned trial attorney with experience in business litigation, criminal defense, and election law. Uh, Mr. Barrick has tried over 100 cases, including serious felonies in both state and federal courts. He joins us now to shed some light on this case and its ramifications. Uh, Mr. Barrick, welcome to State of the Nation. Now, we know a lot about the failures of COVID policies writ large, uh, but now that we're downstream in time a little bit from some of them, talk about how these moratoriums affected J.D. Bowles, a landlord, and your client, just to start us off. Uh, absolutely. And thanks for having me. Um, well, I, it, there's so much to talk about in, you know, in dealing with, with these cases. Um, I think first of all, um, the big thing in my client's case, it wasn't just that it it was a, a situation with eviction that he wanted to evict people for not paying their rent in the state of California, in order to get your property back when someone has, um, abandoned your property, you have to go through the eviction process to regain possession. And so what the big thing in my client's situation was, is he had tenants that just because of the extreme lockdown protocols California implemented, their businesses went under, 
and Mr. Bowles was not able to take his property back. So it lay vacant for uh, almost two years. So what we're arguing is that the overreach from the government uh, damaged my client um, under the Fifth Amendment. It was an unlawful taking, and therefore he needs to be compensated uh, by the government for their actions. Uh, you know, it's just, it, it seems like it's a government-created crisis, and the people that pay the price for it uh, are the citizens. I mean, we, whether it's COVID, whether it's Ill illegal immigration, uh, and it's always the same story. Yeah, shut up and take your medicine. Now, your right. your client uh, was was forced into a lockdown situation, as millions and millions of Americans were. Uh, and then all of a sudden, because of that, because of a proactive measure by the government, he gets screwed out on rent, his, his tenants get screwed, and then at the end of the day, he has to go to court, just so I understand you correctly here, he has to go to court to fight the very government that really injured him financially, at least to, to, to plead his case. It just doesn't seem, it doesn't seem like it passes the common sense sniff test really, but yet here we are. Uh, and I'm sure your, your client is one of many that can make this same claim. Uh, how do you argue a case like this when it's the government that did it? Sure. Well, you know, there's um, a history that, I mean, the, the founders were very astute. I mean, they put the takings clause in the Fifth Amendment of the Constitution, and it was to deal with issues just like this. And that is, look, uh, the, government, the government made a decision. Uh, they overextended themselves in hindsight. And in, in particular, these eviction moratoriums they were extreme, um, you know, in dealing with a situation that really didn't uh, develop. And that was, you know, widespread um, homelessness because people were being evicted because they couldn't go to jobs that the government itself shut down. So, you know, our argument is very simple. It's like, how is it fair that for this situation created by the government why is it fair for my client a private citizen to bear the burden of the government action this is what they decided they decided look we're going to prevent you from being able to uh go through the eviction process so you could get your property back and and release it to somebody else who is maybe starting another business or something else and so we're going to prevent you from doing that and we're going to make you foot the bill it, it's unjust unconstitutional and I think this case, this issue will eventually get to the United States Supreme Court. And I think it will be very, I'm very confident, actually, that the court will find that all these lockdowns, uh, that this eviction moratorium in particular, is a taking under the Fifth Amendment. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll give you some insight as we were going, we filed this case right in the heart of the pandemic uh, in March of um, 2020. And my personal thought was it, it was going to be very difficult in that environment to get the justice that my client truly deserved. And I and I felt all the way along that our strongest argument was going to be, look, government, if you're going to do this, you better make sure you do the right thing, because if you don't, you're going to have to pay for it. And I, I think that's one of the things going forward. If we want to look to prevent this from happening, um, in the future, we have to look for tools to have the government pay a price for exercising such draconian power. You know, I, I was just listening during the break to uh, a contributor on the station talking about climate change. Well, I can tell you, my concern has always been that the next step, the next step for government uh, action, for lockdowns, for different things, will be climate and the argument that because of what's going on with climate change, we need to uh, seize your vehicles, we need to prevent you from going here. And, and you know, I was just in Europe this past summer, and you're already seeing these things occur. Uh, so, I look, I, I think we're in a situation where we really need to guard against uh, this extreme action from the government, and that's what my client is fighting for. Yeah. Yeah. And, and thank you and Mr. Bowles for, for doing this, you know, because we've been asking since around March of 2020, 
when do the legions of lawyers who have an entirely new genre of legal cases to take on start showing up like what where why is this not happening is everybody staying home and then we learn that they're shutting courts down they're backlogging cases for a long time cases like this are not looking at seriously unless they have a really good legal team hammering on it i mean are do you think we're hitting a point now where a case like this can come along and set that precedence that we need to protect us from exactly the situation that you're talking about or does a situation if that emergency emergency comes up do we then have to wait three years you know for for those cases to come through sure um, well i think anytime you know uh, there is a saying that uh, justice delayed is justice denied and unfortunately a lot of times it takes a long time to litigate these matters um, but I have to tell you that, you know, it was shocking to me as a practicing attorney, the way the legal system reacted to, to COVID. You know, usually the courts have no problem setting aside government action that they think is violative of the Constitution. And I have to be honest, during COVID, they took a pass. You couldn't find them. And I think a lot of it was there was a lot of fear. Um, and I think that now, in retrospect, you know, you're starting to see people reconsider, um, you know, the validity of the vaccines and whether that was a great idea. And and I think there are people now that we're four years down the road from COVID um, are starting to look back on the impact of our constitutional and civil rights uh, during COVID. And you know, hey, welcome to the party. Y'all are a little late, but we welcome you here. Come on in, the water's fine. Um, you know, and, and let's start reassessing how government acted during that period of time. And, you know, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeal has already ruled, I believe, that these eviction moratoriums during the lockdown were in fact the taking uh, under the Fifth Amendment. And, and, and the way things work is, you know, a lot of times the court, the United States Supreme Court will look at this issue when there's a conflict throughout the country. And I, and the Ninth Circuit, uh, our circuit, unfortunately, which is has a reputation for being more liberal, they, they have ruled the other way. And so I think, you know, one of the things we're looking at is depending on how our panel rules, um, I, I think there's another case out of Seattle where they're looking to take it up to the U.S. Supreme Court. So I think lawyers and the legal system is starting to wake up. And and but I do think there needs to be um, a reflection upon how the government acted during COVID, because we cannot have that happen again. We just cannot. Yeah, no, agreed. We can't have it have it happen again. But, you know, call me a cynic, Steve, but. Uh, it, it does look uh, that the government realized, man, oh man, we were allowed to exercise this outrageous amount of power, this basically this unconstitutional power because, quote unquote, it was an emergency. And now all of a sudden we're hearing in news breaks, we just heard one a little while ago, guess what? COVID's raising its ugly head again in Australia and the new strain and all of this. Uh, you know, I'm just reminded of, you know, of, of Benjamin Franklin saying liberty lost is seldom regained. Right. Do you think we're going to be able to regain this liberty? Because what? Uh, now we're talking about what happened with your tenant. I for, Let me ask you this. First of all, is this a commercial properties that he owned? Yeah. So uh, Mr. Bowles uh, was a, a entrepreneur. He actually came here from Canada, of all places. Uh and he, uh, you know, invested slowly in, in San Diego, built his business up till it was very, very um, successful. But he was a private single business owner owning, you know, commercial properties. So it was a this particular uh, situation involves a commercial case. So it wasn't a resident. Yeah. He, you know, he just felt very strongly as someone who believes in freedom and liberty. You know, he came to this country for those reasons that he was appalled at the fact that, you know, he was, he had space there vacant that he was unable to utilize because of the government. And, yeah. you know, and, and essentially what you're saying is the government screwed over everybody involved. 
because the initial tenants, they were forced to shutter their business, which of course caused them to go out of business. And then your client, Mr. Bowles, who was leasing these facilities, now he's on the hook because these tenants are no longer paying him, and yet he still has to go through the process of eviction, and they're not making that easy as well. Boy, the government really does know how to screw things up, don't they? Well, and I'll tell you what, we had, um, there were other plaintiffs involved in this case when we originally uh, filed it, and and they inv- there were three hairdressers. One of them in particular was very famous for cutting the hair of children with autism, which was very complicated because when they would utilize the scissors, the, the children would get spooked and freak out. And and she had an amazing talent for that. And and the government's action, you know, almost virtually put her out of business, a single mother who was the primary breadwinner for her family. So, you know, look, the stories, I, I just, I hear these you know, stories from around the world about horrible things happening to people. You know, there is an untold story in this country about the terrible things that government did to people during COVID. And, and you know, in a lot of instances, they've, they haven't bounced back. And yeah. um, it's really something that we all need to look at. And look, this is not a partisan thing. You know, the, the terrible things that the government did to small business owners impacted Democrats, Republicans, independents, you know, you name it. And it, it it just we really as a country and as a as a people really have to look at the threat to our liberty, to our personal freedoms. And I think you quoted Benjamin Franklin. I'll quote Ronald Reagan that. You know, liberty and freedom uh, is only you can lose it in one generation, to paraphrase him, is that it's not guaranteed to all of us. So we all have to stand up and fight for it when uh, we feel like, hey, look, they're infringing upon our rights, our God-given rights. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Mr. Barrickin, our, our, we're down to, you know, just a minute or so left, but do you do you get the sense that... Um, the, the powers that be in in you know in contemporary you know Western culture are really all in on their utopic dream of universal ba- forcing populations into universal basic incomes, digital IDs, uh, social credit scores, and and CBDCs. Do you think this is all sort of what we're seeing is a that was an aspect of the COVIDian policies? You know, I think that's an interesting question. I, I've debated this with colleagues and friends. For a long time, and I, I think I think there's a couple things going on. I I think that some people certainly feel that way, and I think that there's some people who are um, in position of influence economically who look at a controlled capitalist economy like a China, uh, and they view that as a way to protect their wealth. Now, I think that's extremely naive because generally. You know, ask the guy who ran Alibaba when when the Marxists take over, you know, they really don't care about your personal property. But I think that there are some very influential people who feel like that's their pathway to protect their wealth through generations. And they view that this, you know, open society that we have and traditionally have had in the West, they disagree with it and don't view that in their best interest. But I think I think a lot of individuals, a lot of individual Americans, a lot of individual people in Western Europe. Yeah, 10 seconds, sir. We got to wrap up here. I hate, right. to, I hate uh, to interrupt you right there, but thank you. Very well said. Absolutely. And thank you for joining us. Best of luck in your case. And we'd love to have you back on for an update real soon. Steve Barrick right here on State of the Nation at Today's News Talk.